Now, the point in which we are saying is this. We have, a, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Father, we just lift up James to you as he comes to preach. Pray that you would open our hearts and our ears, that we would be able to listen and take note. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tamsin. Uh, one extra thing I should have said about Kids Church is uh, if you want any more information, you can speak to uh, Sally, who's usually hanging around at the back after the service, or you can speak to Robin, uh, who is in there now in the five and uh, six class. So she'll be around there after service, too. Uh, so for those of you that don't know Robin, and I've got two little boys, uh, if you've not seen them tearing around before or after the service, um, you obviously arrive late and leave early. But um, if you've not seen them turn around, you've probably heard them running around. Uh, and we've got two little boys. One is two, uh, and one is four. And uh, so our little boy, Jesse, is two, uh, and Jesse loves uh, cars. He loves to ride in cars. He loves to uh, play with his toy cars, and he uh, he likes to play with those. <laughs> I forget the name for it. I think it's called like a little tyke or something you know, like it's a it's a bit like a Flintstones car. You sit in it and you pedal it with your feet, and you can steer it. But you can really you do it as a mum and a dad from the back, and he loves that. Uh, Roman is four, and uh, Roman loves his bike. So Roman's got a balanced bike, which means that there are no pedals on it. It's just the frame, the seat handlebars, and two wheels. So you kind of run along with it and then pick your feet up and learn to balance. So it's a good, they love those things. So for now, they love those things because they're appropriate for where they are at uh, that stage of their life. So in essence, Jesse's little tykes car and stuff and Roman's balance bike um, they are shadows of, of what is to come in their lives. So Jesse won't, as a grown-up, ride around in his pretend Flintstones car. Will he? He'll drive a real car, Lord willing. And Roman will get a bike with pedals uh, and be able to go quicker, hopefully, anyway. But they're a shadow of things to come. They're, they're kind of like what is coming, but they're not exactly like what is coming. So for us then, should we be content with shadows of real things? Would you buy a little bottle of new car smell, but no car? Would you fill your house with pictures of plants and flowers, but no real plants or, or flowers? And this one's for me. Would you go and smell fresh roasted and ground 
extracted perfectly a lovely cup of coffee, would you go and smell that and then leave? You, you wouldn't, would you? Because I would have drunk it. Uh, or you might have stretched I might have got there first. Uh, would you read a book that changed your life and then just leave it and not want to know more about the author and, and stuff like that? So today then for us, we're going to talk about uh, shadows, we're going to talk about the substance, and we're going to see what's the point. What's the point in all this uh, talk about priests? And isn't this, isn't this all that there is? And is, you know, is this it? Uh, so maybe you're here and you're wondering, what's the point? What's the point of all this talk about priests and high priests and priestly stuff? Because we've been talking about it for a, a few weeks now. And uh, yeah, so why? Why are we talking about priests? Or maybe you feel like this doesn't really apply to you because you, you are doing pretty well with yourself, with your good self. Uh, you manage your own affairs quite well. You look after yourself. Maybe you heard the good news of, of Jesus that he died for your sins and you think, yeah, that's quite cool. I accept. But then nothing's changed in your life because, you know, you're a pretty good person and uh, you manage yourself quite well. So you don't really need, you don't really see the need to change because you're doing quite well. Uh, you're just happy with how things are. So we'll see. We'll see why we're talking about priests and is it is this enough? Is this it? Uh, you know, is the shadow of, of things to come is, you know, is is what's coming actually better than what we've got today. So today we've got a summary, we've got a shadow, we've got a substance, and then we're going to sign off talking about priests, because we've been talking about priests and, and priestly things for, for quite a few weeks now. So we've got a summary, a shadow, a substance, and a sign off. So first we're going to see the summary. So let's read again together Hebrews 8, verses 1 to 4, where we get a summary of what has been going on so far. So Hebrews 8, 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. So we've been in this main section of Hebrews for quite a few weeks, and uh, although there are 13 chapters in Hebrews, the, the later chapters are quite long. So we're about halfway through Hebrews. We've been talking a lot about the priesthood of Jesus, how he is greater than the old way of doing things, lots of reminders and encouragements for the, for the Hebrews who got this originally for them to leave behind what was and focus on what is and what is to come. And then we get this wonderful, succinct summary. Christ serves his people before God by offering a sacrifice for sin. So the shadow and the, the hint and the preview of forgiveness for sins was seen in the Old Testament. It's all throughout the Old Testament. The ministry of the priest in the earthly uh, tabernacle or the temple, uh, gave the, the Hebrews, and when we look back, we see pictures and we see symbols of forgiveness for sins. But Jesus actually came to actually finish and accomplish the job. So as believers, then, we can find hope by living in the light of this fulfillment because we don't need to do anything anymore. And th this is, love this bit that says, now the point in what we are saying is this. You know, the crowning point, the ultimate point of what, what we've all been talking about is this. 
If the Bible, God's word to us in the Bible is given for our transformation to change our lives, we don't need to be scared of it because it was written 2,000 years ago because it's very clear. There are lots of signposts. Like now the point in what we are saying is this. It couldn't be any clearer, could it? And verses 1 and 2, his current position. We see his current position. Then Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And what again, what a contrast. Jesus seated at the right hand of God. These priests still running around, still doing stuff. And uh, if, you, if you look into it, if you read into it at all, the tabernacle or the temple in Jerusalem of the old covenant, were, they were beautifully furnished. Lots of gold, lots of fancy stuff. But there, was, there were no places for the priests to sit down because their work was never finished. I'm standing, working. You're sitting. That doesn't mean you're finished. But there's, no, there's nowhere to sit in the temple for priests, if you look into it. The work of Jesus is finished. We said this a few weeks ago at Easter. Uh, he said so on the cross, didn't he? John 19.30, he said, it is finished. He didn't say it's almost done. I've just got to go somewhere and take care of something else. I'm almost there. But now I've just got to go and take care of one more thing. Therefore, now he is seated because he is finished. The, the price, the, the he paid the price for our sins, past, present, future, completely. He's not doing anything else about it now. It's done. There's no higher place and no more honorable place for him to be. We read uh, minister Jesus as a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. He doesn't serve as a priest uh, in an earthly tabernacle or an earthly temple, the shadowy preview of the real thing. He served, as we read, in the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected the lord set up the original made by god how do we know there's a original a copy well again we read it this is all given for us plain and simple the tabernacle of moses was a copy of the original we read in exodus 25 verses 8 and 9 let them make me a sanctuary that i may dwell in their midst exactly as i show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture so you shall make it so he is there we are here. He is there in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And we see from this man, us, you, me, is not the, the, the pinnacle of existence in the universe. And you go out into culture and you read stuff and you would get a completely different message that we are the, the, the absolute pinnacle of existence. We didn't make this world. Contrary to what you read, uh, we will not destroy this world. God made it. God cares for it. And when the time is right, he will renew and refresh it. There's no need to be scared about anything. You read in the news about the end of the world. Uh, God is in control. And his word tells us how it will all end. And we don't read about global warming, global freezing, or nuclear war. It, it just It's just not there. So when you read all this stuff in the news, you just don't need to worry to the point of, Ugh, anxiety and stress, because it's not, it's not, it's not how it's going to play out. If you've never read, I've said this before, I'll say it again, if you've never read to the end of the book, then, then do. If you read something about global warming, global freezing, whatever's cool to say nowadays, uh, nuclear war, all this stuff, this country, that country's going to blow everybody up. Read to the end of the book first, and then have a look at the news. If you've never read to the end of the book, read to the end of the book. If you've heard that Revelation's difficult, it's full of symbols, it's full of imagery, it's full of lots of weird stuff, 
full of, it is. It's full of all those stuff. But read it anyway. Read it anyway. Send me a message and I'll send you a devotional series to it, chunk by chunk, bit by bit, to help you understand it. But read it. Don't be scared. And don't be scared by the news. The world is not going to end before God says so. Jesus is there in heaven, seated in the true tent, not on earthly copy. What is he doing? Well, we said last week that he's interceding for us. He's finished. The work is finished, paying the price for our sins. He's now seated, praying for us, taking our names to God in heaven. Amen? What a cool thing. He's there in heaven, praying for us by name. So we get a nice, simple, and short review that summarizes the last few passages. And now we get a shadow. We read about a shadow in verse number five. So they... The priests, earthly priests, they serve a copy and a shadow of their heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So verse 5, then the priests serve in a shadow, a copy of the original. Moses saw the true tent. and We read, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you. So these priests, the tabernacle, the temple, is an earthly copy of a heavenly reality. And think about, you know, your shadow is a reflection of another object. It resembles that object, but it contains some distortion, doesn't it? It's not quite, it's not quite all there. It's not perfect. Think about how you can make your shadow bigger or smaller based on where you stand in relation to a light. Your shadow changes, and it can change quite a lot, but you, the reality of that shadow, don't change. Like I've got four behind me here, and I've not got four people. If you move around, it gets bigger, it gets smaller, it gets lighter, it gets darker, but the reality never changes. In Exodus 25, we read that Moses' tabernacle, the tabernacle, the tent of worship, the temple, Temple tent, in essence, that was built on earth, was made according to a pattern that existed in heaven, a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, the pattern that was shown you. So there is, therefore, there is a heavenly temple that served as a pattern. Moses was shown something. Look at this and do your best to replicate. Make it just like this. Jesus' ministry then is our high priest that we've talked about for a few weeks, takes place in the heavenly temple, not in temples uh, here, not in copies and shadows built on the earth. And if you were a, if you were a Jew, take yourself back. You're, if you're a Jewish person in the first century, you would have been tremendously proud of the temple. It was uh, I read this week. It was spectacular architecturally. It was uh, wonderfully decorated inside. But however glorious it was, it was a temple built by man, and it was built by a man that was not that nice. Uh, it was nothing. However beautiful it is on the outside, inside, even combined, it's nothing compared to the glory of the heavenly temple that Jesus serves in. Because really, a shadow is never greater than the reality that it represents. And the Hebrews then have been shown that their former way of doing things was good. Nothing's been discounted and trashed and nobody's been called an idiot for doing this stuff. They've been shown that their former way of doing things was good for the time. Roman rides his balance bike now because it's appropriate for him as a four-year-old boy. If he goes near my bike, then it's, it's, it's tense. 
that's not appropriate for you or your little fingers. And obviously I'm trying to do it, I'm, like, I'm doing the, the caring dad thing. Take your hands away from there, son. But it's just not appropriate, is it? I'm going to touch my bike. But the balanced bike that he's on is appropriate for him right now because that's where he's at. And the Hebrews have been showing, look, all that stuff that you used to do was fine then. But something greater has come along. So when Romans 18, he's not going to ride on his balanced bike. I've tried it. It doesn't work if you're an adult. He's going to move on from his balanced bike. As much as he loves it now, he will get something better and greater. So nothing is being trashed. The Hebrews are not being called fools. This is all stupid. Leave that alone. Because, you know, moving into a complete new system of thinking and way of doing things by force doesn't help anybody, does it? That was stupid. Come and do what I tell you to do. Just, that's not, you're not getting off on the right kind of footing. And God said to them right at the beginning, didn't he? This was a copy. I'll show you a pattern of stuff, and you can repl- make a replica down here. But don't forget, don't forget, this is the real one, and you're going to have a copy. Don't hold on to it too tight, because stuff's going to change, and one day you will come, and you will be in this one. And for the Hebrews, they lived through that transition. They spent the first part of their lives looking at the shadow and then this light came into their lives, into the world. And when that happens, you just stop looking at the shadows, don't you? You're looking at a shadow, you're admiring how beautiful it is, and then somebody switches on a big, bright, beautiful light. You stop looking at the shadows. For the Hebrews then, and for us too, Jesus is that light. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's easy for us to condemn the Hebrews for drifting back to the shadows. You're like, guys, it's so obvious. You were doing the Jewish thing. Jesus came. What's the problem? Get on board. And it's easy for us to condemn them for doing that because we're looking back and we're reading it. But we shouldn't. Because they, went, they were tempted to go back to something that was more comfortable, which is why this text exists. But we do that too, don't we? Maybe not to, to, to Judaism, but we do it too, don't we? We accept the good news. We begin to live in the light of it. And we see that this is pretty nice. This is pretty cool. And it's starting to take root. But then we slip or we trip or we fall. And maybe we even start to reason with ourselves that it's all right if I do so-and-so or it's all right if I watch so-and-so because I can handle it in my mind I'm not going to be influenced by this I'm just I'm just going to watch this or it's all right for me to do stay go to whatever and we're doing what the Hebrews did we're, we're drifting back into a life that was more comfortable for us in the shadows before the light came and nobody focuses on the shadows and there's a great big light in front of them. For us then, our, our former ways of living in the shadows are, are gone. We need to see them as completely, entirely, totally gone, not just a little bit here, a little bit there. We need to be 100% in the light because when we think about it, that light in our lives has influenced everything about us. So this is a big statement and I want you to go with me to the end before you uh, decide whether you agree with me or not. But when we look at the light in the life of a believer. We see that even if we, in our minds, have been working so hard to better ourselves, 
even if we think we're growing as people, if we think we're doing pretty well, even if we've eaten some of that chicken soup for the soul, we've washed our faces, we've harnessed the power of positive thinking, we've found out who moved our cheese, we're living our best life now. All these things encourage you to take care of you, and there's, no, there's nothing else, it's you. You see it on Facebook, Instagram all the time. You are responsible for your happiness. Oh, gosh. Anyway, anyway, you've, re- you've read all those books. You're doing well. Every good thing, every good thing about our lives that might feel like it's down to us is in some way, shape, or form related to the character and the light of Jesus. Because they are shadows. This is, this is not it. It's a shadow of what's to come. So it's a big statement. Everything good about your lives can be traced somehow to Jesus. But we serve and love a big God, don't we? So it's all right for me to make big statements. But think about it. Think about your, your, your parenting, maybe. You're, you're trying to be the world's most patient parent, and you're trying not to kill your own children. Uh, think about the prodigal son in Luke 15. There's patience there. There's a parent there. God is patient. God is our Father in heaven. Jesus is patient. His patience with Thomas in John 20. I'm not going to believe. You know, all right then, Thomas. Come and put your hands here and touch this. There's patience. There's no cracking the whip. Thomas, you fool. I'm here. It's just, look. All right, fine. If that's what it takes for you, come and have a look. Think about, uh, think about your marriage. Loving your spouse. Again, you're not trying to murder somebody in your own home. Uh, it's, the, it's your number one earthly relationship. Number one is there. Number one down here is your spouse. The way the world treats marriage and how God views marriage are, are different. Husbands love, your, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's not the way the world tells you to treat your wife. Uh, so if you, if you stumble into the fact that actually we've got a great marriage, we love each other, we do all this stuff for each other, you'll find that at the core are the principles of the Bible, the principles of Jesus, the word of God. Whether you, whether you acknowledge that or not, what is good about your marriage will be found in here. Being diligent at work, Jesus entirely devoted to the task that the Father gave him in John chapter 4. Think of, you know, if you want to get more spiritual, you want to pray more, Jesus often went off to be spiritual and pray more. And we could go on and on and on and on. But at the core, everything that glorifies God in your life, every evidence of light in your life, even if you think, even if we think, We've, we've stumbled upon this ourselves. We've read all the self-help books and we're helping ourselves. Everything that glorifies God in your life and every evidence of light in your life, every, every, every instance where fruit is being produced in your life that benefits other people, we are not at the core of that. Jesus and his word and his will and his way and his light are at the core of everything that's good in our lives. Amen? So the shadows, then the shadows always point to a reality and the temple, the priest, the sacrificial system, all of that points to the substance that Jesus embodied. Simply, all of that stuff points to Jesus. And we see the substance in verse number six. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. So again, in verse 6, then his ministry is far better than the old. What he does is better than what the priests did. It's eternal. It's more powerful. Its consequences are far superior, and it lasts forever. The covenant, 
the agreement, the promise that he mediates, that he guarantees is better. Because the promises surrounding it are better. Previously, it was do this and get this. And for us, it's believe this and receive this. The, the, the stress, the emphasis, the, the, the point of focus is no longer on us. So the, the previously the Hebrews, are, they were lovingly shown that their old way of doing things was and was always going to be temporary. And now the Hebrews are told, look, but as it is, they've been shown how things were temporary. It's a copy, it's a shadow, it's a preview. And now we get, but as it is, here's the truth, here's the reality, here's what we're talking about. Jesus' ministry, what he offers is so much better so much more excellent. The new covenant, the new agreement, these new promises between two parties, so much better. So as, as for them, so for us, whatever, whoever, or wherever you've got hope rooted, whatever, you, uh, whatever whoever, wherever you trust, whatever you run to when things are difficult, Whatever, whoever, wherever you trust for today and all of your tomorrows, even if you've just got a little, tiny, tiny piece of yourself reserved for something else, like I'm 90% Jesus, 10% bank balance. I like to know that I'll be taken care of, but I'm 90% Jesus, or I'm 90% Jesus, 10% my hard work. I'll, I'll do it, ultimately. If things go wrong, then I'll turn to him, but, you know, 10% me. Or even I'm 98% Jesus, 2% open to the new thinking of the day. When, thing, when people discover things and publish new things, then, yeah, I'm open to the newfangled thinking and ways of doing things. So whatever, whoever, wherever that is for you, it's just, it's just not as good. It's not as good, and it never, ever, 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 ever will be as good. The new covenant, the agreement, the promises, so much better, because it's a covenant marked by believing and receiving instead of earning and deserving. Because we've covered this before. If it was earning and deserving, none of us would deserve anything. Amen? We are never going to work ourselves up there by doing good stuff. Never, ever, 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 ever. Uh, if you've got your paper Bibles open, uh, turn with me. If you're following on your phone, swipe with me. And if you're following on the Bible app or the Star Fellowship app, then this is there for you already. But let's go to Romans chapter 10. Just a few books back in your Bibles. Paul writing to a group of believers in Rome. So Romans chapter 10, and we'll pick it up in verse 5. So Romans 10, 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Believing and receiving. There's no earning and deserving there, is it? And I think all too often we are guilty of, of front-loading the gospel. And by that I mean that we tell people that they need to do stuff before you're a real Christian. <laughs> whatever, whatever that means. Uh, so you, you've got to attend some classes. You've got to uh, be baptized before you're a real Christian. Maybe, uh, you know, they need to raise their hand in a prayer when the offer of salvation goes out. If you don't raise your hand when that particular prayer goes out, then you know, are you even a real Christian? Or maybe you've even got to walk down the aisle to the front of the church in front of people. And if you're an introvert, you're probably shaking in your boots because that's just not what you want to do, is it? You don't want to walk down to the church in front of a couple of hundred people. You don't want to do that. You make a public declaration right then and there. And unless you do that stuff, then you're not a Christian. Then, then you are a believer. Then you are saved when you've taken the walk. And that just, that's just wrong, isn't it? That's very subtle. But it, that's works-based. That's you doing some stuff. That's you trying to earn some stuff and then claiming that you deserve some stuff. So do people want to do those things when they're in relationship with the Lord? Sure. You want to be baptized. You want to show people, this is me. But are you forced to do them to get into a saving relationship with Jesus? No. It says believe. All who call on the name of the Lord. It's, just, it's, it's a belief thing. Think about this. Uh, religion is very, very complex in actions and very simple in thinking. So you need to do lots of stuff, lots of often uh, complicated stuff, very perfectly on the right day, the right time. And then all will be well with you because um, the perceived deity here said so. And that's it. Do all this stuff and deity says so. But for us, an intimate relationship with a living person is different. In action, it's incredibly simple. Believe and receive. And then in thinking and in analysis, it's as complex as it is profound. It takes more than a lifetime's worth of study, meditation, prayerful consideration, and analysis. And we're still never going to understand everything until we get there. But in practice, it's very, 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 very simple. Believe and receive what he is offering. And isn't that just good news about the good news? And what Jesus offers is better, we read, since it is enacted on better promises. And these promises see us through uh, desperate and very dark times because Jesus has promised you something and he doesn't make promises that he's not going to keep. The promises that come alive to us through the Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writers of the Word of God, the, the human writers of the Bible, will illuminate this for you. When you read this, it becomes real and alive. The promises, blessing, undeserved favor for us in believing, rather than promises to curse 
and to judge. Uh, last week, two weeks ago, we talked about the last verse of the Old Testament being a curse. And the last verse of the New Testament being a wonderful promise. The new covenant then, the new agreement between God and people uh, is not about uh, me or you or even us together corporately. It's about God. It's not about our work or our efforts, what we bring to the deal. Uh, it's about what Jesus did for us and if we, if we believe in that or not. As we believe, we are changed. We are changed day by day. You're not going to wake up tomorrow a nun or uh, if you're a, a, a man, a monk. You're not going to wake up with a collar on and a, a funny thing shaved into it's just It doesn't happen like that. We wish, how, we wish that it could happen like that. Wake up tomorrow, super spiritual. Incense burning in the house. Monk-like choir music playing in your house. We wish that we could wake up super spiritual, but we just we don't, do we? It's day by day, from the inside outwards. These promises in the new covenant help us to become what the old covenant never, ever could, which is godly people being transformed into his image. These new promises, this new covenant helps us to live a better life than we were living, even if we feel like we're doing pretty well. We're taking care of ourselves. The promises that Jesus brings and offers and the life that he offers us is so much better than anything that we could ever work into existence for ourselves. Think about this. The promises in the first covenant, Old Testament, were, were about now. It's about length of days. It's about increase in flocks and herds and family. And it's about harvest. It's about national privileges for God's people. It's about peace and abundance and prosperity and, and safety in, in the now. And there was also the promise there of eternal life. We can't discount that, and it'd be wrong to, to say that it, it wasn't about eternal life. But there's so much other stuff going on in the old covenant. In the new, it's very, very simple. It's eternity that we're talking about first and foremost. Our eternal destination, and it rests on his faithfulness, his goodness, and it rests on him, not us. Is that not a great thing for us? It doesn't rest on anything that we are or anything that we do. Our mind is directed to heaven as part of this new covenant. We think more about eternity than we think about now with, with the hope and the assurance of eternal life. I read a really, really short book this week called The Dying Hours of Good and Bad Men Contrasted. Wow. It's a really, really short book, maybe like 40 pages, but just, just wow. These men on their deathbed, maybe the week or two leading up to their death, good and bad men contrasted what they thought, what they said, the, the kind of things that they, um, they saw in, in, in dreams and visions and just the end of these men's lives. What a, a, just a huge contrast between people who, who lived for themselves and thought that they were in charge and some of them were quite noteworthy people in society versus those who had lived their lives based on the promises of Jesus. And just what a, a contrast in the end of the life of these men. A huge contrast. Life in the shadows, taking care of it yourself, or life in the light. The shadow then, the substance, and then we get a, an ultra-logical, sensible sign-off in verse 7. 
For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. It's very, very simple, isn't it? If the old way of doing things was good enough, there would not have been the need for a new way of doing things. You know, could that be any more simple and straightforward? If something is broke, you don't fix it. Very, very simple. Think about, think about getting a new car. And it's perfect. This new car is perfect inside and out. Very reliable. When you put the key in and turn it, or maybe you press the button if it's new, new, uh, it starts every time. And for some of us, that's some kind of miracle. Turn the car on, it starts. Fantastic car. <laughs> there are no Cheerios between the seats. <laughs> There's no CD jammed in the player because somebody has put it in upside down but they will never admit that they did it. You've got AC that works and actually works with cool air. It's not a hairdryer. This car that you've got is, is perfect. You don't take that car back and say, look, this is not good enough. I want a new car. If it's, fi- if it's not broken, you don't fix it. And we read, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Amen? It's so simple. If it's not broken, you don't fix it. Roman's balance bike is good. I know because I've tried it. It's good. It's fun. He loves it. But when he grows up and gets a real bike, that will be better. His balance bike is just a shadow for him, a preview of what's to come. He looks at my bike longingly from a distance. But he looks at my bike and he knows that one day he will ride a bike like Daddy's with pedals, but from a distance. So, it, but the, the balance bike that he's got now is just a preview. It's just a shadow. He knows that there is more to come. He enjoys that balance bike now because it's appropriate for him now. And when the time comes for him to progress and something new comes into his life, he will enjoy that all the more. The old temple was good, but the real one is better. The old priests, some of them were good, but the new priest is, is better. The old covenant was good. God put it out there. The old covenant was good. The new one is better. What's the point in all this then? Why are we talking about priests? And is this not all there is for us? Uh, very, very simply, uh, no. There was a song in the 60s, Is That All There Is? I tried to watch it on YouTube this week, but it's just so bad, I had to turn it off. Uh, is that all there is? No. Is this all there is? No. This is a shadow. This is a preview. The substance is way, way better. So maybe you're here and you're wondering what's the point of priests and sacrifices. Maybe you think you're doing pretty well, so it doesn't really apply to you because you quite like living in this shadow. You're doing quite well for yourself. But the old way you've been doing things is, is all looking forward to the new. Every good and admirable character trait in your life, every good decision, every possible thing you did whilst trying to manage your own life, every good thing that you did was a shadow, a preview of something better, something uh, greater. Every good and positive character trait that we can display can be and is traced back to the example that Jesus set for us. Very, very simple. He is the substance 
to which all of these shadows point. Jesus is the substance to which all the shadows and copies point. We don't just go and uh, smell coffee. We go and drink coffee. The shadow, the preview of it, helps us enjoy the reality of it. New covenant, greater than old covenant. Substance, greater than shadow. Heavenly things, greater than earthly things. And Jesus, greater than all things. So really, it's very, very simple for us. We should choose substance over shadows. Amen? Amen. So we're going to take a minute or two just to pray about this. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we do. And maybe just for a minute in personal prayer, I want you to think about where, where are we still living in the shadows? Why are we doing that? How are we doing that? What, what, what's going on in our lives that enables us to keep a little bit for ourselves? What have we not given to God? Where are we still living in the shadows? So we'll take a moment of just personal prayer. This is between you and the Lord. Where are you still living in the shadows? What are you going to do about it? Uh, and then we'll close together, praying together. And as we do, I'm going to ask that you join me in raising a holy hand in prayer. Tamsin referenced it when praying before. We've talked before about the postures of prayer. We don't have to do anything in particular, one hand, two hand, left hand, right hand, two hands. But God's word to us describes different postures of prayer, different physical things we do with our body to express what we're thinking and what we're feeling. So we'll take a minute of personal prayer. We'll close all together. And as we do, I'm going to ask that you join me in lifting up a holy hand in prayer.